All right, and I'm looking out this morning and I see some faces that maybe are new to me, and I'm still new here, so uh, if I haven't met you yet and you're, uh, you're, you're like, well, I, I know you, but you don't know me, I apologize for that. But if you are visiting here this morning, we do want to welcome you. Uh, and if you are visiting, we wouldn't mind uh, reaching out to you just to say thanks for visiting. I always like to give people a call or an email or a text or something and just say hello. Uh, so if you are visiting, and if you could put your hand up, and if, Henry, if you could pass out some of those visitor cards for me. Oh, you already did. Okay, you already got one. All right, someone's way ahead of me on that. That's great. So welcome. Welcome to all of you that are visiting. It's good to have you with us this morning, and uh One other thing I want to mention is that we are probably sometime soon going to resume uh, our offering where, you remember the old days when we used to pass a plate and and, uh, had ushers and all of that, and then COVID kind of disrupted that. So for now, we've been asking people to put their offering, and someone gave us a very nice little box that's right back there by the sound booth. So if you want to give that way, that's that's great. We, We have those online options as well if you want to help the ministry of the church in that way, we would be very thankful for that. Uh, but maybe in a we might start uh, passing. we got to get the deacons exercising again so they're ready to go. Uh, but I think it would be a good thing to kind of get one more step back to normal, don't you think? So, And uh, we will do that. So with that, let's get into the message this morning. Uh, and you can see the title of it up there. Is justice dead? And we're going to look at a guy who kind of questioned God a little bit, a guy named Habakkuk, and we're going to learn a little bit about him, but we don't know a lot about him, but we're going to see his discussion with God uh, about justice. You know, justice is a really popular topic these days. A lot of people are crying out for justice in many ways, but when someone says they want justice, not everyone is talking about the same thing when they use that word. Would we agree with that? There's different things people mean. Some people say, well, justice would mean if, if everyone had equal access to wealth and things like that, that would be justice. Some people have said, well, justice would be get rid of this police department. Um, some would say, well, justice uh, will come when all the people I don't like are in jail, Right? And so there's all these different ideas about what, what is, would justice really be. But biblically speaking, our aim needs to be to seek justice as God defines justice, not as we might like to define it ourselves. And we try to bring justice about, don't we? We have a, a government, and we have a court system, and we have police officers and other law enforcement. Uh, we try to bring people to justice, and we understand that justice really is twofold, or it involves two parties, the, the guilty and the victim. And justice usually means we punish the guilty and bring a sense of justice to the victims, whatever that can look like. Now, that is generally in line with God's view of justice, according to the Bible. But we are often unsatisfied with justice brought by human courts because we either think the judgment was too harsh or not harsh enough, right? Or we think a guilty person went free on a technicality. Or perhaps there was a corrupt judge or a corrupt police officer or a lawyer that got involved and perverted the justice. 
And so we're outraged when we see someone and everyone says, oh, he's clearly guilty, but he gets off. No punishment. Or we're outraged if, if it takes too long for the person to get to court. You know, years down the road, we're still waiting for a trial for someone, right? Or someone hasn't even been arrested yet. They can't find him. And we get frustrated by that because we want them to come to justice. And there's a phrase that you often hear that says, justice delayed is justice denied. Have you ever heard that phrase? That's not true with God. Sometimes God delays justice. And I hope by the time you are done listening this morning, you'll realize that that's a very good thing for us, that he delays justice sometimes. In fact, we ought to be very thankful for that because every time we sin, we're not immediately struck down, right? So God's justice is not immediate. It is delayed sometimes. Um, And God's justice isn't always visible to us either. We may not see it at all in some cases in a way that satisfies us. So, so we don't always see it. But we still cry out for justice. The question maybe somebody would ask, is it okay to question God about his justice? Can we be righteous in questioning him, for example, if someone seems to be getting away with murder? Well, Paul noted that there would be all kinds of evil done by all kinds of people. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he said, understand this that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened by sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of truth. So Paul observed this reality in his time. He also predicted this reality that it would continue in future generations, and we see today. All of those sins, and maybe even more varieties of them. Uh, There was a prophet, and we're going to study his writings for the next four weeks or so. Um, He he doesn't have a lot of writings in Scripture, but it's very, uh, very much real for today's situation in the world where we cry out for justice. Because he also questioned God about why God was letting people get away with their sin. So that's the initial question to God. And we're going to see that question answered this morning. And then next week, Lord willing, we're going to see how the answer to the first question prompts the second question. Now, I'm going to sum up those questions right now, and then we'll go into them in the next couple weeks. The first question Habakkuk brings to God is really, it's a complaint. And it's more or less, why are you letting people get away with so much sin? And God's answer to Habakkuk is, Just wait and see, because it's coming, and Israel is going to be punished, and it's going to be very harsh. Then after hearing that, Habakkuk comes back and says, but how can you punish her so harshly? How can you use people that are even more evil to punish the people who are doing the evil? I don't like the punishment you're promising, more or less is what Habakkuk answers back, and God's answer is wait and have faith. 
you will see in the end that my judgments are right and the wicked will be punishment. So that's the general gist of what the two questions and answers that Habakkuk has this kind of discussion with God. But we're going to only focus on the first this morning. Now, we don't know a lot about Habakkuk. He's one of a few people in Scripture that we really don't have much description of. Sometimes when someone's listed in the Bible, it'll say who their father was or what town they came from, and you have some idea. But Habakkuk is one that just says he was a prophet. That's about it. And uh, so we don't have a lot of information about his, his history and, and all of that, except to know that he was most likely uh, a priest in the temple. A priest could also be a prophet. And uh, that he was most likely around between the years of 640 B.C. and 615 B.C., which was before the decline of Assyria and the rise of Babylonian or the Babylon, the Chaldeans, who you'll see them referred to as the Chaldeans in this passage. So let's look at Habakkuk's first complaint and God's answer. This is Habakkuk chapter 1 and verses 1 through 11. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Now here's God's answer. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards. Some are more fierce than evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward, and gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, and they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose might is their God. Now, I feel like I can relate to Habakkuk's complaint, and I'm sure you could too. I could spend all day giving examples of things that are going on in our present world and the recent past that make us shake our heads and say, how can they get away with that? In this case, Habakkuk is complaining about his own people. Everywhere he looks, God is being mocked by the sin of the people. Habakkuk is not just bringing this up to God. He's actually crying out, and he has been crying out for some time. And in your Bible, you may see a couple of cross-references here. One of them is Psalm 13:1. How long, O God, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? So Habakkuk's not the first one to say things like this. And then Psalm 89, 46. How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Habakkuk is by no means the first, and he's certainly not the last, to question God about his timing or his justice or anything else. Habakkuk sees violence being done to help his people and no one saving them. And I feel like that 
when I hear stories in the news, for specific, especially about violence done to children, I struggle with that. I say, oh, Lord, how do you get, let these people get by with what they're doing? And when you consider how the most innocent are murdered in the womb and you ask God, why? Why don't you step in and save those babies? Why don't you step in and stop abusive people who are ruining the lives of so many children? Why do you let this continue? Am I the only one who asks that sometimes? Why does it seem like you don't care, God? They're getting away with it. All I see is destruction and violence and strife and contention. Habakkuk says, the law is paralyzed. Justice never goes forth. The wicked surround the righteous. Now, some people have said, well, you should never question God. Certainly, in the end, we're called to trust him and his sovereign plan that he will make all things right. But is God offended by our questioning? The answer is, sometimes. Okay. But... Other times in Scripture, God lovingly allows his creatures to process their emotions, to ask difficult questions, and he's not bothered by it. He knows what we're thinking anyway. Might as well say it. You see, it may have been impudent in one sense for Habakkuk to question God like this, but God does not give Habakkuk a hard time. God actually answers the question. The, question, the answer is not an answer that's going to satisfy the questioner, though, is it? Because the answer is that I'm going to punish the sins of my people and I'm going to punish the sins of my people by sending an even more evil people to be the instrument of my wrath and judgment. Verse 5, he says, Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded, for I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. This is going to blow your mind, God is saying. You aren't going to understand it. My justice is coming, but not how you would have hoped. And then in verse 6, he says, I am, Behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to, to seize dwellings not their own. The Chaldeans, that's the residents of Chaldea, also known as the Babylonians, are being raised up by God to bring punishment to Israel. These Chaldeans are a bitter and hasty nation. What does that mean? What is a person like who's bitter and hasty? Bitter people are those who have allowed themselves to be absorbed, basically, by an attitude that is tainted by the past. They tend to hold grudges. They are cynical. They assume the worst about people. Bitter people will tell you they already know how bad things are going to turn out because they never turn out well. And then they're hasty as well as bitter. Hasty is quick to jump to conclusions. Now, some people are hasty to think the best of others. And they jump to good conclusions about people, maybe that they shouldn't have trusted quite yet. And we will say, those people are naive or gullible. Well, that might be a problem, but if I'm going to error being hasty, I guess I would rather have it be a hastiness to trust people than, especially in the church, by the way. But apparently these Chaldeans are hasty in a way that corresponds with their bitterness. So you can imagine what kind of people these are. They're not nice people. So God is about to use as his instrument of judgment a people who are bitter and hasty. So perhaps then it's fair to consider when we feel harassed by people who are bitter and hasty, whether God is using that person to correct us. Because God loves us. 
When we sin, he often corrects us. And sometimes his means of correction may be ungodly people. However, this doesn't mean that we always have to assume that if someone's mistreating us, it must be God's punishment. It may not be. But whenever we're in a difficult time, and even when we're not in difficult times, we should be asking God to search our hearts to find any iniquity that's there. So these Chaldeans, they march through the earth. They seize dwellings not their own. They're plunderers, in other words. They're imperialists. They want to grow their own dominion by conquering others. And besides being bitter and hasty, they're dreaded and fearsome. And they have their own standard of justice and dignity based on whatever they like. So they're powerful. They have horses and soldiers who ride those, uh, the soldiers that ride the horses. They move quickly. They're fierce. They're like an eagle. They're coming down to devour um, and all of that. They're violent. They capture and they enslave people. They're so powerful that they laugh at kings and rulers. This is just pure arrogance. They pile up earth and take every fortress. So you have a wall under your sit- around your city? No worries, we'll just bring in enough dirt to make a hill to climb over. That's what that means. You aren't going to keep the Chaldeans out. They sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. Now some of you diligent people are going to read ahead. And next week, we're going to see the response Habakkuk has to all of this. As much as he was dismayed over the sin he was seeing in his own land, he was not prepared for this response. He doesn't like the fact that God would punish sinful people by using even worse people. And we're going to look at that part next week. But for now, let's see what lessons we can draw this far. We can certainly sympathize with Habakkuk. That's the first lesson, right? We look at our world just as he did. We see all over that people mock God with their lives, and we want him to do something about it. But do you really want God's instant justice? Well, not for ourselves, you see, but for everyone else, right? For ourselves, we want mercy, grace, patience, understanding, right? But for all those other sinners, give them justice and give it now. Now, God never says to Habakkuk that he's wrong to want justice. In fact, he's assuring Habakkuk that, indeed, justice will be coming. It's, it's coming, and there's going to be a, a reckoning, basically. Now, so many great stories and so many great movies have a theme like this. There's people that have been oppressed because there's an oppressor. Sometimes it's a person. Sometimes it's an army. Sometimes it's a people. And then the hero comes in right? And destroys the enemy, and now the people rejoice and live happily ever after. And we want that kind of ending. That's what we want. But if we all got the justice we deserved, who could stand? Malachi 3.2, who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? He's like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. Jeremiah 49, 19, Behold, a lion is coming up from the jungle of the Jordan against a perennial pasture. I will suddenly make him run away from her, and I will appoint over her whomever I choose. Who is like me? Who can summon me? What shepherd can stand before me? Psalm 76, 7, But you, you are to be feared. Who can stand before you when once your anger is aroused? You see, none of us could stand before God in his anger and his wrath against sin. And we're all guilty. 
Romans 3.23 to 26, all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has put forward as a propitiation by his blood. Propitiation means he turns away the wrath of God to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And we know we're all sinners. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So who can stand? Without Christ, who can stand? No one. Those in sin are unable to save themselves. They need a hero to come in and right the wrongs. They need a Savior who can save them from the wrath of God. And we were too weak to save ourselves, so Christ died for us. Romans 5, 6 to 11, while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. That means the relationship restored for those who put faith in Christ Jesus. The wrath of God is, is set aside. He makes propitiation for it. And at the same time, we are reconciled to God. The relationship is restored. You see, Habakkuk's cry for justice is our cry as well. But we have to remember, if justice comes and it's perfect, then we would all be in trouble. The wrath of God is to be revealed. The unrighteous need to become righteous to avoid the wrath of God. But he provided a way for the wrath of God to be turned away from us. We don't need to fear the Chaldeans. We don't need to fear God's judgment. And for those who are already saved, we must trust that the evil around us will be punished. The other lesson to learn here is that God will use his own means to punish us or discipline us. He loves us enough that when we are living in sin, like the people in Habakkuk's time were, he will sometimes allow ungodly people or ungodly means to bring us back to him. And how or why he can do this and not be the author of sin is part of the mystery. So what can we do? We can trust God. We can trust God that justice will come. We can trust that with God, justice delayed is not justice denied. We just don't see it. Because where the justice of people comes up short, God's justice is always perfect. And perfect in his time. Another prophet, Micah, saw that some of these things seemed to be happening in his day as well. In Micah chapter 7, he writes, Woe is me, for I have become as when the summer fruit has been gathered, as when the grapes have been gleaned, there is no cluster to eat, no first ripe fig that my soul desires. The godly has perished from the earth, and there was no one upright among mankind. 
They all lie in wait for blood, and each hunts the other with a net. Their hands are on what is evil to do it well. They want to do evil well. (laughs) The prince and the judge ask for a bribe, and the great man utters the evil desire of his soul. Thus they weave it together. The best of them is like a briar, the most upright of them a thorn hedge. The day of your watchmen, of your punishment has come. Now their confusion is at hand. Put no trust in a neighbor. Have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your eyes. arms. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. A daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. What kind of a world is that that Micah's living in? Sounds a little like ours, right? So what does Micah say he will do? In verse 7, he says, All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces. All her wages shall be burned with fire. And all her idols I will lay waste. For from the fee of a prostitute she gathered them, and the fee of a prostitute they shall return. And Micah realizes as well that sometimes when we sin against the Lord, we will bear his indignation. So he writes, Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him. Until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me, he will bring me out to the light. I shall look upon his vindication. Then my enemy will see and shame will cover her who said to me, Where is the Lord your God? My eyes will look upon her. Now she will be trampled down like the mire of the streets. Does that sound a little like the answer Habakkuk got? You see, God in his love sometimes causes us to bear his indignation over our sin. But then he, lo- he gives us vindication through Jesus Christ. Does that sound... Good? God may use our enemies sometimes as his means with dealing with our sin. And maybe we will bear the indignation of the the Lord as he does that, but he will also bring those he loves out to the light. And they will see his vindication, and he will execute judgment for us. You know, it's a tough thing to bear when people have you, uh, they're assaulting you or whatever, But I think of King David. When he was being cursed, he didn't allow his mighty men to take Shimei's head off. This was this guy, as David's son Absalom had taken over, was trying to take over the kingdom, and David's life was in danger, and him and a crew of his guys were leaving the town, and this guy stood up and started cursing David. And one of uh, David's uh, people said, Hey, I'll take care of this for you. I'm going to read it for you in a second. But look at David's response. It's found in 2 Samuel 16, starting at verse 9. Then Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord, the king? He's talking about this guy. Let me go over and take off his head. You know, David's mighty man, right? But the king said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah? If he is cursing because the Lord has said to him, Curse David, who then shall say, Why have you done so? 
And David said to Abishai and to all his servants, Behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more may this Benjamite leave him alone and let him curse, for the Lord has told him to do it. It may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me and that the Lord will repay me with the good for his cursing today. And by the way, that guy that was cursing him, if you, there's the rest of the story. Last week I talked about the rest of the story. Remember Paul Harvey? There's the rest of the story. And God did repay him for how he cursed David. We need to trust in God's justice at his time and in his way because it will be perfect when it's all done. We may not see it in our lifetime here. And we may agonize just as, Haggai, as Habakkuk did and other prophets and say, Lord, where are you? How do you let this happen? But he continues to say, trust, have faith. And you'll see one famous verse that's uh, at least three times in the New Testament referred to in Habakkuk, Habakkuk 2.4, the righteous live by faith. And you're going to see next week that the context of the righteous living by faith is when they look at the world and say, where's the justice? The righteous will live by faith. So do you trust in God's timing? Let's be honest. We don't always, do we? Do you trust in his justice? Do you trust in his means to bring the justice? Do you trust in his means to discipline us so that we get back on the right plan? Do you trust in the Lord with all your heart? And I'll close with that. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. And I won't do the motions for it, but I learned that as a song years ago. So anyway, let's pray. Lord, thank you for the word this morning. Oh Lord, we really can sympathize with Habakkuk. We really understand how he felt when he looked at a world full of sin and evil and injustice. And he cried out to you, Lord, where are you? Why do you let this happen? And Lord, you told him to trust that you are going to take care of it all, that your justice is perfect in the end. The psalmist said, Lord, that righteousness and justice are the foundations of your throne. And to that, Lord, we ask you to increase our faith that we would know it's true, that we would believe it's true, and that we would live as though it's true. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.